I encourage you to turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We have uh, examined the first 19 verses of this chapter. We're going to, to consider the rest of it today, looking at verses 20 through 33, a, a section which all holds together, which really commends to us in a very powerful way the import of wisdom. The wisdom of God, the wisdom that calls out to us, the wisdom apart from which our lives will be filled with suffering and punishment and woe, but through which we can know the life and the glory and the goodness of God. So beginning in verse 20 of Proverbs 1, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the opening of the gates of the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Amen. Congregation of God beloved in Christ. A number of years back, I had a chat with a dentist who was a member of the congregation up in Hills. So I wanted to find out what her work was like. Quite honestly, I've always been a little bit fascinated with dentists because... I've always had really friendly dentists, and yet I don't like to go see them. And, you know, it's kind of curious. What, what, what kind of life would that be, you know, to have these patients you care about who really don't much relish coming to see you? So we talked about, you know, what leads a person into dentistry and, and what's it like preparing for that. But most of all, what's it like to live as a dentist? And she shared with me some of the joys of her work, some of the things that really make her satisfied with that work, but also some of the deep frustrations. And that's what, what stuck with me, the frustration of being a dentist. Because dental science has come along so far in the past few generations. And she said, you know, We're at a point in uh, dental science, God has allowed us to understand the teeth and the mouth well enough at this point that very rare is the individual who, with proper care, with proper understanding, can't have strong, relatively pain-free teeth for most, if not all, of their life. The frustration for her was the fact that with most patients, even though she took 
great pains to instruct them. She went to great lengths to make sure they had the knowledge they needed to have good dental health. No matter how much she taught them and encouraged them and even sometimes admonished them, they wouldn't. They wouldn't brush their teeth as often as she recommended or for as long as they recommended. They wouldn't floss to clean between their teeth. They wouldn't avoid the things that hurt dental health or embrace the things that would help their dental health. They wouldn't, wouldn't, would not do what she urged them to do, what she knew they needed to do. It wasn't that they couldn't do it, it was that they wouldn't. And that drove her a bit nuts because she knew that she could help them. She could really be a blessing to them if only they would. And that's really the same lament we hear in Proverbs 1 from wisdom. Sometimes it's tempting to think of Proverbs as a, a spiritual Dear Abby column, offering advice that we can take or leave according to our desires, without consequence. But it's not that. The instruction we find here is instruction from God that confronts us with warnings meant to help us avoid deep anguish and pain that can last eternity. If we reject that counsel, it's not without consequence. There's a deep and abiding consequence. And yet so many people refuse. They reject the most helpful instruction they could ever receive because it's instruction given to them by God. In large part, their refusal rests on the expectation that they can figure it out themselves or that they have plenty of time to get this all worked out. That today is not the day that they need to deal with this. But the thing is, today is the day. Because they can't handle it themselves and they won't handle it tomorrow. And neither will we. Young people, please hear this. You in and of yourself are not sufficient for the things that this life or life eternal holds. You need, you desperately need the wisdom that only God can give you. And you need to not just hear it, but to embrace it. You need to. Because you can't figure it out on your own and you won't turn tomorrow. Today is the day to hear the voice of wisdom. Today is the day to turn from your ways into the way of God. That's what this passage tells us and that's a message that we desperately need to hear. Wisdom offers all men a radical choice. That's the message that, that we find before us this morning. Wisdom offers all men a radical choice. And that choice begins in its confronting of us with a persistent call to recognize wisdom. So that's our first point, the persistent call to recognize wisdom. Notice that in our text, wisdom is portrayed as a woman who cries out her message. Up to this point, we've heard the voice of a father. We're going to hear the voice of the father come back in chapter 2 again. But now wisdom comes to us with the voice of a woman which will be a recurring voice that we hear in Proverbs. It's one of the most important uh, characters that we encounter in this book. But why a woman? In part, that's just a function of Hebrew grammar. Hebrew, like many languages, has nouns that each have a gender. They can be masculine, they can be neuter, they can be feminine. The word for wisdom, chakma, is a feminine noun. And so it makes sense that if you're going to personify wisdom, you're going to personify wisdom as a woman. But more than that, Solomon has been speaking to his young son, urging his son to embrace wisdom. And he knows, he knows sons, he knows boys. 
He knows that abstract concepts aren't all that exciting to young men. But a beautiful woman, that'll catch his attention. And so he characterizes wisdom in that way. It's a beautiful woman. The courting of whom brings great reward and great delight. The boy can understand that. We can understand that, right? You who are married certainly do. There's great delight in, in courting, in, in following after, in learning everything about that person whom God has given to you, right? And God's saying that is wisdom. It's the, the woman who can bring us great delight, who can bring us great fulfillment, who can, can complete us. God sends out the woman wisdom to call out, and there's nothing hidden about that call. This is not a carefully concealed secret revealed only to a select few who dare to hunt for her. No, no, no. Wisdom cries out openly, eager to be seen by everyone, positioning herself in the open places where she can't be missed, lifting her voice aloud and urging people to heed. There's no attempt to camouflage the words of wisdom. God wants these words to come into every ear, to be confronted by every heart. Wisdom is bold in its proclamation so that no one might complain they didn't know. They didn't understand. They didn't have a chance to turn to the Lord. Wisdom cries out to three groups in particular. In particular, especially, wisdom cries out to the simple. The word there we encountered last week also. It refers to those who are young, to those who are naive. They aren't maliciously foolish. They simply lack understanding. They could go either way. They could go into the path of wisdom. They could go into the path of foolishness. But they lack understanding. So he, she cries out to the simple, but also to those who are scorners or mockers. These are those who... They have no respect for those around them. They tend to mock and to criticize those who attempt to teach them. Scorners, by and large, are those who are hardened in their rebellion. And then there are fools. This is the most generic term of the bunch. It refers to those who lack understanding or good sense and who generally aren't open to learning. They sort of delight in their lack of understanding. They take pride in not being those who are wise. Simple ones, scorners, and fools. The ignorant to whom wisdom cries out passionately. The problem is that all three of these groups are fairly satisfied with where they are. In order to hear the voice of wisdom, one must acknowledge a need. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. What I have is not enough and I need help to learn what I need. I need someone to instruct me, to teach me, to build me up. And that's hard. That's an affront against man's pride. And so those who are ensconced in their scorn, in their folly, even in their simplicity, their naivete, they're tempted to embrace their ignorance. Much like a junkie embraces the drug that is killing him. The simple one embraces his simplicity, loving the bliss of ignorance. He doesn't have a complex life. He doesn't have to worry about all that stuff that those godly people worry about. He's just going about his business, just, just going from entertainment to entertainment to work back to entertainment. 
And the mocker, he delights in his mockery. He delights in his rebellion. He delights in the sense of superiority he gets in bringing down to his level those who are higher. And the fool, well, he just hates knowledge. He hates the very idea of, of learning it and, and having to change in response to what he's learning. These three groups, they relish the ignorance and the folly that imprisons them. And as long as they cherish their ignorance, as long as they cultivate that hatred of knowledge, there is for them no hope. And therefore, wisdom cries out, Turn! Seek that which is better! Wisdom calls out to the foolish to humble themselves that they might seek God. And that's hard, again, because of pride. We inherently hate to admit that we're weak. We hate the idea of relying on someone else. What's one of the, the first signs of that in every young child? You go to help them put on their clothes or help them wash their hands. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I bet every one of you children said that at some point. And once you said it, you kept saying it. Right? And in some ways, that was a relief to your parents, finally. Right? They can become a little bit self sufficient but the problem is that it becomes a hardened thing I can do it all myself I don't need your help I don't need anyone's help that's the temptation that lurks within us because of our pride because of our sin but the Lord urges us if only we will humble ourselves if only we will humble ourselves to acknowledge that we need help he says I will I will pour out my Spirit on you. The Spirit of wisdom is necessarily the Spirit of God. When the woman wisdom says, I will pour out my Spirit upon you, she's saying that God Himself will come and bring light to your eyes, bring understanding to your heart, enable you to see not only what you lack, but what God will give you. And so also I will make my words known to you. Having equipped us by His Spirit, God opens our eyes to His Word, the Word that we read in the Bible, the Word that is preached to us in church, the Word that we hear from the mouths of parents and elders and friends, the Word that's applied through the wise counsel of the godly. All who turn from their ignorance to seek what wisdom offers, they will receive from the hand of God Himself. Ultimately, you see, this is, this is the offer of Christ Jesus. Because after all, He is the embodiment of God's wisdom. We, we heard that in our assurance of pardon this morning, didn't we? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is the fullness of God's wisdom. The Word through whom the world was made. The way and the truth who brings us life. And therefore, the only way to be truly wise, truly wise in the way we live this life, truly wise for eternal life, the only way to be truly wise is to embrace Christ. My friends, do you see the emptiness of the ignorance in which you were born? We all start, every one of us, we start in spiritual darkness. But we must not be satisfied with that darkness, with that ignorance. God offers us something infinitely better. But we must recognize our need for it. 
and confess to God our willingness to receive it and put our faith in Christ alone who is the only one able to bring us the wisdom of life. Persistently, God calls us to recognize the wisdom embodied in Christ. And we must be willing to receive what He offers because the alternative is horrific. All of us will walk down one of two paths. That's the radical choice. Either the path of wisdom embodied in Christ or the path of folly, ignorance, pride. Neither of those paths is free. Every, each, each one of them will demand everything of us, will demand that our lives be utterly and completely conformed to the path on which we're walking. But the cost of walking that wide path of folly, of ignorance, the cost is immense. And so that's our second point. The painful cost of rejecting wisdom. This section begins by acknowledging reality. Wisdom has been offered to us. I called you. I stretched out my hand. I gave my counsel and my rebuke, says wisdom. She is passionate about the message that she brings. She's not shy. No, she calls out. She demands that you be heard, that you hear her. She stretches out her hand like one reaching to someone who's about to fall off a cliff, who's losing their balance. She reaches out to grab hold of them and take, take them back to safety. She sends out her counsel and her rebuke that would draw people back from the abyss. And we encounter that call. We certainly all do as, as members of the church, as those who are part of the covenant community. We hear the voice of wisdom in the Word of God that is preached. We behold the wisdom of God as it's encapsulated in the Bible. The encouragement and warning of godly family and friends sets wisdom before us. When the elders come to visit, when our parents urge us to turn, when our friends rebuke us for our sin, all of that is the voice of wisdom calling out to us. Even, even the transformed lives that we see before us is the voice of wisdom urging us, encouraging us. Young ladies in gems, when you go and you have your lessons at gems and your counselors teach you from God's Word and, and talk to you about what it means to be a godly lady, that's wisdom. That's the voice of God's wisdom calling out to you. And you have the choice to reject it and walk in your own way or to embrace it, right? but you know that you've encountered it. We all have encountered the wisdom of God, and so have those outside the church in different ways, but they also have. I mean, we've talked about how the creation itself declares that God exists and that He should be served. So they see it in that means. They see it by means of their conscience. God has imparted to them in their hearts a knowledge that there is right and the wrong, there is good and there is evil, and that they should seek after that which is good. And then they look around and they see us. They see the witness of the church. The love that we're called to show. The holiness that we're called to embrace. The forgiveness that we're called to offer. That's one of the reasons it's so very important that we live the life God calls us to live. Because when the world sees us, they see wisdom. Or they see a caricature of wisdom. Will they see in us the message of Christ? Will they see in us the call to turn? 
the power of God to transform. But they do see, they hear the voice of wisdom. And that means that no one is without excuse. And yet some persistently reject that voice. How they refuse varies. Some simply refuse to acknowledge the call of wisdom that surrounds them. They just won't pay attention to it. Others angrily mock and relentlessly attack the God of wisdom. They, it's almost funny. They, they deny that God exists and then they devote themselves to refuting the reality of God. If He's really not there, why would you worry about it? But, but their vehemence against God testifies that they've heard the voice of wisdom. Others seek to turn the wisdom of God inside out and to confess as true what God has called false and as false what God has said is true. Still others co-opt the wisdom of God as though it was their own. However their refusal looks, at the end of the day they refuse to humble themselves before God or to trust in God for that which they need. So our text recognizes that fact, recognizing that, that they have heard the voice of wisdom, that they, they had the opportunity to turn. And it shows us that the cost of refusing, the cost of rejecting wisdom is steep. What is coming for those who reject wisdom is described as a whirlwind, as an unstoppable storm. Think of those summer storms that are filled with warnings of hail and straight line winds and tornadoes. How powerless we feel because we know that if it comes, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Nothing we can do to turn from it. All we can do is hide and hope and pray. Right? Well, that's the, the punishment that is coming on those who reject wisdom. Look at the words with which he describes what is coming in verses 26 and following. He describes it as calamity. A little further on, the word destruction, it's the same word in Hebrew. It, it refers to the hurt, the burden, the oppression that comes on those who suffer an absolutely unavoidable pain. Terror. The dread, the awe that excites great fear when we know that we're about to experience some pain that we cannot avoid. Distress. The verb form of that word indicates a binding, a tying up. It is inescapable for them. Anguish. Anguish is a word that, that conjures up images of a great pit filled with mud that you can't pull yourself out of. It's, it's absolutely inescapable once we're drawn in. For those who reject wisdom, their future is bleak and ugly and inescapable. Now they might experience a taste of that in this life. Sometimes, sometimes those who embrace folly, their folly catches up with them, right? They get caught, they get arrested, they get charged, they get sent to jail. Or, or maybe their relationships are broken or they lose the, the treasure that they sought so desperately to amass. But sometimes they don't seem to get caught. Several times the Psalms wrestle with that reality that sometimes it seems like the wicked prosper. Sometimes it seems like their schemes have paid off. But Proverbs 1 reminds us that at the end, no one will escape. At the end, they will answer for their folly, for their refusal to hear wisdom's voice. And on that day, verse 28, they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. This is a strong warning. 
If you persist in the wickedness of your unbelief, if you refuse to heed the call to seek God's wisdom today, if you refuse the escape that He offers you right now, then on that last great day you will realize how stupid that was, how foolish. And you'll ask for a second chance, but it'll be too late for a second chance. In fact, shockingly, Shockingly, it says that I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. Doesn't that sound harsh? That wisdom, God, will mock when your terror comes. But remember the context. Remember the background here. God urged them in the strongest terms, sent out the message as broadly as possible, urging them to turn back from that which would destroy them. He gave them every opportunity to turn. The world itself testifying to them as a great sermon. A sermon that is amplified by their conscience within. And how did they respond? They mocked, they laughed, they rejected. They twisted the word of God into licentiousness and sin. They made their life laughing at God denying His truth. And now they want to turn to Him now that they see the cost, now that they can't hide. So yes, the Lord in justice mocks. He laughs. He says, you had your chance and now you will receive the justice that is your due. Our sin is evident. It permeates our lives. But also evident is the wisdom that calls out for us to turn from that sin. Those who refuse that call, those who embrace instead their sin, on that last great day, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. Do you see see the justice in that? God won't punish them in a way that is greater than they deserve or different than they deserve. They've chosen their path. Now they will eat the fruit of that path. They have set their hearts to covet their desires. And now they will receive the fullness of those desires. They they desired, they coveted to live apart from God and apart from His wisdom. They delighted in their folly and their mockery and their sin. They chose their ignorance and now they will live eternally in their ignorance, in their folly, in their mockery, in their rejection of God. They will be cast into the outer darkness where there is no light of God's favor because that is what they chose. Do you see that, young people? That is what they chose. C.S. Lewis said there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who, through the mercy of God, learn to say to God, Thy will be done. And they submit themselves to His wisdom. And there are those who, in their persistent rejection of God, find that God eventually says to them, Thy will be done. And He gives them over to their sin. But the cost of that is immense indeed. And I think the scariest verse in this whole passage is verse 32. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Do you hear what he's saying there? 
The complacency of fools will slay them. They will think that all is well. You know, I'm not really that bad. I live a pretty decent life. I think I'm, I'm pretty kind to the people around me. I'll be all right. And if more is needed, you know what? There's plenty of time later. I've heard it said that those who intend to turn to God at the 11th hour usually die at 10.30. Because they were complacent. They thought they had plenty of time. They thought tomorrow is ample opportunity to turn to the Lord. But in their complacency, in their... These aren't, these aren't serial killers. These aren't madmen. They're complacent in their ignorance. They refuse to turn from their naivety, from their, their simpleness. And therefore, rejecting God, they find themselves rejected by God. Brothers and sisters, let that fall upon none of you. Today, in your ears, wisdom cries out. You hear her voice in the word that is proclaimed to you. You encounter her voice in the devotions that are done in your homes. Her voice cries out in the life of the young adult who has turned from selfish sin and whose life has suddenly become much different, much better. She makes herself known in the warm greeting of the person whom you offended who has now forgiven you. That is the voice of wisdom that urges you. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Turn at my rebuke and surely I will pour out my spirit upon you. Do you hear the voice of wisdom? Young men, do you hear it? In the voice of your father when he calls out to you to care about God. Young ladies, do you Perceive the wisdom that is set before you when your parents urge you to live for Him and not for the world and not for the things of this world. Children, do you hear the voice of wisdom in your catechism lessons? You who are older, does the voice of wisdom impart itself to your heart every day through your devotions? Are you receiving humbly the wisdom of God? You must, because today is the day and the cost of rejecting wisdom is steep indeed. But there is an alternative. There is an alternative and it is glorious. Now we're going to talk mostly about that next week as we look at chapter 2. But we need, we need just a taste of it because we can't end. We can't end on that painful cost of rejecting wisdom. And that's why the last verse of this text gives us just a hint, just a preview of what is coming in the peaceful reward of receiving wisdom. Now most of this verse is promised, but there's a condition. The condition we need to understand because that condition is not a means of earning the promise that is offered. It doesn't somehow make us more worthy of that which is promised. No, this condition simply requires us to hear the call of wisdom. Pay attention to it. When God speaks, take it to heart. Take it inside. Live by it. That means accepting, loving, trusting Jesus as your Savior and King because Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom. He is the sum and substance of all that the law sets before us. He is the fulfillment of every promise of God. He is the restoration from all of your folly and sin. Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. So embracing God's wisdom means embracing Him, trusting Him for all that you need. Honoring Him in all that He has said. Obeying Him in every word that He has spoken. That's what it means to embrace wisdom. And that's what we must do, putting our faith in Jesus, if we would have that peaceful reward that comes with wisdom. 
The reward is described here in two phrases. You will dwell, dwell safely. All the fears that you just heard described about what is coming for the unwise, for the, the mockers and scoffers and the fools, all of that will be kept away from you. All the consequences of your sin will be utterly removed. All the suffering that your folly earned will be taken away. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He took all the cost of your sin and He paid it. He took all the suffering that you deserved and He endured it. And that means that there's nothing left to endure for those who are in Christ. And so we can dwell in safety. We can look forward to living eternally in a creation renewed by Christ. And no more shall we fear. We'll be secure without fear of evil. The threats, the mockery, the hatred of those who hate God, It won't leave us undone. But God will protect us and strengthen us to endure. The temptations that once held us captive, oh, we'll still wrestle with them. But we won't fear them because we know that Jesus has overcome them and that He dwells in us by His Spirit and therefore we are able to resist. We are able to stand firm. The idea of being alone, of being cast off by God, we will no longer fear that because we know that Jesus died for us and that He promised that all who turn to Him, He will receive and not one of them will He lose. And so we will have no cause for fear here or eternally. But it begins by hearing the voice of wisdom, by heeding the voice of Christ, by trusting in Him. Brothers and sisters, wisdom offers all men a radical choice. May God cause each one of us to hear that persistent call to recognize wisdom. May He impress upon each one of our hearts the painful cost of rejecting wisdom and may He fill you with the certain hope that comes with the peaceful reward of receiving wisdom through receiving Christ. To Him be all the glory as He works this within us. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, You are great beyond all measure. And Your promises are excellent. May You teach us to, to cherish, to deeply desire those promises that You've set before us. And to hate the very thought of having to suffer with those who rejected wisdom. Teach us to receive that word of wisdom and Christ whom it reveals with eagerness and with joy. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.